0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Four Investors Podcast. I'm Andrew Gay, along with Gilbert Pies, and we are the Texas Hill Country Advisors, independent financial advisors based right here in the beautiful Texas Hill Country. We bring you the latest. Thinking in financial markets, as well as investor education and a dash of investor psychology. It's Tuesday, December twenty sixth, and we are going to discuss some of the most recent happenings in financial markets as we look to close out twenty twenty three and head into twenty twenty four. Gilbert, hello. Hello there, Andrew. Thank you for joining me, or should I say, I'm glad to be joining you.
1: Back. <laughs> I'm
0: glad to have you back. That's for sure. We've been uh, the past couple of weeks has been a
1: bit of a crazy, hectic mess for all of us, and you being sick didn't help so it's
0: good to be back. Yeah and I feel like we haven't done a podcast and it it has it's been over a week so uh, it's been a little while but we're still in the in the very back end of 2023 so let's jump right to it let's talk about that a little bit if we look at where the stock market is looking like it's going to close out 2023 uh, all three major indexes look look really strong right now so the S&P Year to date is up over 25 percent. Dow Jones is up over 15, and the Nasdaq is up over 44 percent year to date. Uh, what's your quick, one-word thought about some of that, Gilbert?
1: Comeback, I, I think is my my phrase that I would use because if you compare That's a great, yeah, if you compare what uh, the market has done this year versus what it did last year, we've had a big, big recovery and comeback. So
0: I think comeback was would be my word. That's a good one, because I think if we look back to 2022, we know that that was a painful year, and Mm -hmm. we had this rebound effect this year, seemingly in the stock market, even amongst some of the slowdown in economic activity. So, um,
1: Yeah, and this graph, of course, only shows the equity markets. Uh, We're not even talking about what the bond market has done on this graph. Uh, The 10-year treasury has dropped off quite a bit the past few weeks, but it's also done Reasonably well for the year. Uh, the ten-year treasury, I think today was at three eighty-five, three eighty-nine, somewhere in that range, and that's a far cry from where it was earlier. You know, heck, even just two months ago. But uh, I, I think year-to-date, it's it's really helped out quite a bit too on the on the bond side.
0: So. Let's expand on that just a little bit. Why is that such a big deal? Because I know that if you look at the 10-year U.S. Treasury, which is a benchmark interest rate that's kind of out there, we've talked about how the bond market interest rates can affect other market interest rates. Uh, but you know, you and I kind of look at that and in, in the normal person, I think, sees that and says, okay, well, the interest rate moved from on the 10-year U.S. Treasury from 5%-ish down to just under 4 Big whoop. It dropped 1%. But you and i were had a little bit different perspective on it so can you expand on about why we think that that is such a big deal
1: yeah it, it's a really big deal because the the us 10 year us treasury rate is kind of the benchmark rate that everybody else sets their interest rate on and when you can get that thing to drop off a little bit that means that uh, the bond market is is doing better and it also means that you know if interest rates are coming down then the stock market looks like a better and better and more attractive opportunity. So you you get this double effect really um, uh, of, of helping the equity markets a le- little bit. Uh, but then you also have that bond market that's doing well last year. The reason 2022 was so pitiful was not only was the equity market down the stock market that everybody talks about, but also the bond market. It was horrible. The worst year, <laughs> in uh, 30 years because interest rates were going up so rapidly. We haven't had that in such a long time that it it really hurt anybody that was invested in bonds or fixed income is what we generally call that. Um, and, and of course, you know, that, that was pretty painful. And, and if you look at what we do and typically how we do things most of the time, because stocks and bonds usually, uh, operate in opposite directions usually what happens is when the stock market goes down bond markets tend to go up usually but last year was one of those double whammies where you got kicked on both fronts so you had the bond market and the stock market down this year you've had the exact opposite thing or at least the yeah. past few weeks anyway uh because because earlier this year the bond market was still in pretty bad shape uh looked pretty bad because the 10-year Benchmark U.S. Treasury, it was above five percent, um, but that's come down quite a bit. You know, we've we've started to see the equity markets move up. So, we've had a, uh, yeah. a a butt kicking last year on two fronts, and this year it's a recovery on two fronts.
0: Well, and I think the bond market specifically, really a lot of that precipitated at the beginning of November when the Fed was between the second and third meeting, or so, or or almost to their second meeting, where they were causing interest rate hikes. Right. And so we got that confirmation in the third meeting in a row where they did not hike interest rates in December. And that was that just added fuel to the fire that kind of started that that bond market rally in November. And there was a lot of talk of 60, uh, 40 portfolios being dead in 2022. After 2022, they said, well, bond market went down. At the same time, the stock market went down. And historically, uh, an investor kind of owns those two things because they're not necessarily correlated. Right, But in 2022, they seem to have been correlated to some extent, you know, not a, not a one for one trade by any means, but in same thing, sort of this year, the bonds were really struggled for the first two thirds, three fourths of the year until we got into like the back half of the year right? at the end of November. I mean, uh, at the end of October into November. So it, you know, and now the narrative within a 12 month time span, I've heard several people already on, uh, talking heads on the TV, Bloomberg or, or wherever Talk about how, well, there's always that 60-40 is dead narrative that happens after <laughs> years that we go through something like that. Do you remember hearing that in 2008, after 2008? Oh, yeah. And people yeah. were like, oh, 60-40 is dead. The modern portfolio theory. Of- yes. yes, are-
1: And I remember after 2008, people talking about how even the equity markets were dead. How, how they were never going to recover from the sure. butt-kicking that we took in 2008 and how even the bond market wasn't going to recover For many, many years because there had been so much permanent lasting damage to both of those markets.
0: Turns out not to be true. Uh, Yeah, but see. They settled down. But one of those narratives for sure, like the credit one, I mean, I can't imagine being an investor and having um, exposure to a lot of the bond market, credit markets and going through something like an 08 because that effect, that seemingly affected the credit markets a lot more the debt markets the bond markets a lot more than maybe the equity market right or most, no
1: most most definitely I, I think if you look at 2008 there was there it was such a bad bad time in the economy in general it it spilled over of course into the equity and the bond markets but uh it, it's interesting if you go back and look at all the reasons for the crisis in 2008, um, some of those things uh, got resolved, and some of them haven't. Uh, for, for example, the, the ones that haven't is who still controls Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac? The federal government does, and, and they've been trying for years to come up with a solution to get rid of them and, and make them the GSEs that they were, government-sponsored enterprises that they were, but free of direct government intervention well right now guess who owns freddie mac and fannie
0: mae the federal government does yeah because the way the way i understand it is there's supposed to be a an agency a government agency so there's right. supposed to be a degree of separation between someone that is or an entity that is operating as the federal government Versus, like the IRS, for example, right? They're directly or or the Treasury, right? Someone that represents the federal government, and then and Fannie and Freddie, that are in uh, other government-sponsored enterprises or other agencies that. It, so, they're not really part of the government, but they're they're sort of they kind of got one foot in, one foot out. So, what's your what's your take on that?
1: Yeah, you know, um, it, it's it's interesting. Free markets make a lot of sense when the market is operating correctly or efficiently or like it's supposed to, but in times of crisis like 2008 or, or even 2020 when, when COVID was, was rearing its ugly head, um, every politician on the planet will all of a sudden go ahead and put all of their objections about government intervention in a drawer and say, well, we we ain't worried about government intervention right now. We need to intervene to make sure that, the economy can survive this trauma or whatever's yeah. happening at the time um, the The problem is like a lot of situations, once you let government intervention take place, it's very difficult to get that government intervention
0: and take it off and it's also really hard, I think, for because now it's almost like our economy is Kind of, kind of knows that there might be some government stimulus to come into play right. when tragedy strikes. So now you have a psychological uh, issue kind of going on there right. at the same time, right? Right, right. Uh, yeah. So you know, because it shouldn't. The thought is not supposed to be like that,
1: right? It, right. Is the free market the best thing? Yes. Uh, is government intervention ever necessary? Well, I think over the past several years since this country has been created. Uh, every now and then it's okay to whip out some government intervention. The the tricky part is how do you get rid of it? How do you remove it and let the market go back to a free floating system of checks and balances that's supposed to be in there? And, you know, the, the key word there is, is um, something called moral hazard. In the yeah. market, whether it's the stock market, the bond market, or any market for that matter, there needs to be an element of risk. In the market, to incentivize people to do well or to um, manage their capital in a in an efficient way, because if you know in any market that the government's going to step in and rescue you, then you you really don't have an incentive to be careful.
0: It's not really a free market
1: anymore, it's not what you're it's not so yeah. th- there's there's a there's a fine line between government intervention and, you know, the free market system of checks and
0: balances. And I think that's a perfect segue to transition into talking about what can we expect for investors in 2024? It seems like a lot of what we've been hearing alongside the fed raising interest rates at the fastest pace in multiple decades in 20, like this past year, 2022, 2023, in the face of economic data that has remained resilient, um, it seems like a lot of that might still be from Covid stimulus that we got back in twenty twenty in this kind of uh, effect where the economy is trying to find some kind of equilibrium um mm-hmm. since then. So w- with that in mind, what what's the number one thing that you think is top of mind for investors going into twenty, twenty four we can talk about that a little bit.
1: Well, I think there's a couple things. Number one, we're still not sure what the net result is going to be for the economy now that the Feds are very likely topping out on raising interest rates. It doesn't seem like they're going to raise interest rates anymore. Um, Now, if you listen to the Federal Reserve a few weeks ago, their last Fed meeting, Jerome Powell seemed to indicate that they were done raising interest rates, but he left the door open for uh, further rate increases if necessary. But if you look at the economic data that's come out over the past few weeks, it seems to indicate that inflation is indeed cooling off and they're not going to have to raise interest rates. Um, And because of the consumer spending that has continued to take place and the fact that we haven't had a huge increase in unemployment, which typically happens in a rate rise cycle when you're trying to cool off the economy, uh, we typically get a recession. Um, It doesn't seem like that's going to happen. But I think the jury's still out on whether or not we're going to have a, quote unquote, soft landing. It, it seems like that's what's going on. Right. But a lot of things can happen. So I, I think that's number one. And
0: we won't know until. Sorry. Until it's over. Right.
1: Yeah. Until, until you know, the, the effects are over. I mean, it, it by the time we know, it'll be too late. Um, now, if you look at the stock market and the bond market, they have already assumed that the feds are still not going to raise interest rates anymore that next year they're going to lower interest rates and that we are most likely going to have a soft landing scenario where we do not have this huge increase in unemployment that would necessitate the fed to step in with intervention and lower interest rates rapidly right
0: so Um, i wanted to let's i wanted to show this Because this is so, this is pertinent, I think, to what you're talking about. So we've showed this before, and we've talked about it. But our best guess, as as far as the U.S. economy is that we're right in this little spot at the end of the expansionary phase, and like right at the beginning of the recession phase. And what Gilbert's talking about is that if if the Fed has engineered this quote-unquote soft landing, then we might actually not have to go through this recessionary period to get back at the To the beginning of the expansionary period so typically what happens is as all these things increase jobs the unemployment uh, rate falls incomes increase because people are making more money they're spending more money inflation kicks up the fed raises interest rates that's on the far right right there right and then eventually they raise interest rates to the point where the job market starts to ease up a little bit unemployment starts to rise incomes uh, start to fall spending starts to fall and eventually inflation falls and then at the very end of that uh, sequence, the Fed will cut rates and we kind of get to kind of stimulate the economy and put us back into an expansionary period. So, what is really interesting about where we're at at the end of this year, with the Feds possibly being done raising interest rates going into 2024, and then, you know, most recently talking about some cuts ahead, some interest rate cuts, is that. The the spending still has remained strong. The job market has still remained strong, but inflation is is actually falling. So you know, will we actually see a, a recession in twenty twenty four? Like you were saying, the jury's still out. We don't know. Yeah. Um, I, but we would, would skip over that part. Is my point? If yes. if that does come to fruition, I, I would submit to you that
1: the likely scenario is we will have a recession, quote unquote recession, but this This chart kind of illustrates that it's a you know, particular length of time. But I would submit to you that that if we do have a recession, it's going to be very short, lived and won't be very severe, which is kind of what we've been talking about over the past year that if we did have a recession that it would be short and it would be uh, a recession nonetheless, but it would be very narrow and very shallow. yes. so, I think we will have a recession. It's just is it is it going to be really severe? Because there are degrees. Uh yes. you could you could have a massive recession, a uh, very painful, huge unemployment increases, very dramatic slowdown in in the economy, or you could have a very short and shallow recession. and i I think you know, on the scale of one to ten, uh, one being the lightest recession, two being the biggest recession or the worst recession. You know, we might have a recession that's a two, very very short and shallow, very, yeah. I mean, it's going to be painful for the people that are um, losing their jobs, if any, but it, it's not going to be so dramatic that, you know, it's going to be something like the, the 30s or the 80s yeah.
0: or the 70s. Um, so, so that we had back then. We think that we might see some slowdown, continued slowdown in some of the economic data, but not. Uh, uh, an overwhelming amount of like some kind of drop-off that feeds into some kind of severe economic slowdown. Yeah, And
1: I I think part of it is going to be the fact that when we had COVID in 2020, where did all the government stimulus go to? It went directly to consumers. Straight into their bank accounts. Straight into their bank accounts. uh, As opposed to the stimulus that was done in 2008 where it was straight to the banks. Uh, They kept it on their balance sheet. Now, you know, some people would say, well, see, that's why we yeah. next time we do a stimulus, we need to go straight to the consumer. Not necessarily, because what happened with the consumer when the uh, stimulus went straight to the consumer? They spent it. They, well, not only did they spend it, but that was part of the reason why we had such an increase in inflation. And, yeah. And there there are millions of people in this country who are still suffering the effects of inflation It doesn't matter where on the spectrum you are in terms of income or socioeconomic status. If you lived in this country, and even if you didn't live in this country, the effects of inflation in this country affected all of us. Uh, Maybe at different degrees, but uh, certainly inflation, it affects people on the lower end of the income scale the most. Because it eats up a bigger chunk of their income. And even though their income may have been rising, it was all getting eaten up by the increase in costs to them for basic goods yeah uh, groceries gas fuel energy rent utilities all that stuff it, so so the people on the lower end of the scale uh they they really haven't made any progress even though they're making yeah 18 dollars an hour now versus 12 dollars an hour all of that extra income was getting eaten up by increased costs
0: yeah and that doesn't do a whole lot for your your personal financial self esteem. That's right. Either. Plus,
1: I think if you look at the rapid pace of deployment of the stimulus, yeah, was a a very big indicator that billions of dollars were wasted in uh, in in um unallowed claims, um, PPP loans, yeah. a lot of fraud and waste went in there. And so, you know, is is that enough reason to do the same thing again? If next time crisis, next time we have a crisis, probably not. Um, yeah. I, I think if you add up all the bad effects of direct stimulus to consumers in the future, the government probably need to needs to really have a pause and say, well, maybe we don't do it the same way again.
0: Yeah, well, um, interesting take. I think that the the it's very clear that the TARP money in 08 went – tried to get filtered through the banks, and this time it went straight to the consumer, and we got record high inflation because of it. Mm-hmm. And it's a pretty straightforward equation, but I think that, like I mentioned previously, we're still trying to find economic equilibrium here in this post-COVID, post-stimulus uh, kind of economy and whether or not the fed pulls off this soft landing is still remains to be seen we won't know it till we're through of it through it and and eventually even if we kind of avoid a recession this time around or in the next maybe 12 months it doesn't mean that we're not going to have another one because eventually we're going to have another one it's just whether or not this cycle uh seemingly are we kind of able is, is to skip skip over it right um or minimize the the effect of it
1: right And and who knows frankly what the expansionary period is going to look like right. because as as your chart illustrated you have an expansion phase and then you have a recessionary phase uh if if we're saying that the recessionary phase is going to be pretty small hopefully uh who knows what the expansionary phase is going to be small maybe that one's going to be small too i don't know yeah. um it, it it we we kind of indicate here that there's a unequal time period between the recession and the expansion or the expansion is three times as long as uh, a yeah. recessionary period. But that really is just a representation on a graph. It, it's not really the case. Who right. knows how long this expansion, right. if any is going to be, I don't know.
0: And, you know, historically <laughs> we do know that, that expansionary periods out, uh, usually know, they're bigger. Yes. than, than the recession significantly, like significantly, sure. like oh, significantly yeah. bigger, sure. but you're right. The point there is, I think that, this it's not always like that. in reality, can always feel and look a little bit different than than the numbers or the charts and stuff that we the data that we look at.
1: I think the worst thing that could happen for the Fed next year anyway is they don't finish the fight to get inflation back to two percent and at some point down the road, yeah, inflation rears its ugly head again. And they have to come back and lower interest rates. Because I think that's the real risk. Yes. And I
0: think that's what they're really worried about. Absolutely. They should be. But at the same time, and to close this out, the last thing I want to talk about is the expected rate cuts next year. So this is a perfect segue into that. Just to say that, you know, is the risk of inflation coming back and them not doing enough, is that a larger risk that they should pay more attention to than, than them doing too much? Uh, because they're also, I think, worried about doing too much and leaving interest rates too high. And have they <laughs> have they squeezed the economy too hard to where all of a sudden in the next three to six months we get kind of a economic activity that kind of falls off a cliff because of the level of interest rate and a little bit of a lag between when they raise the rates and how it's affecting the economy?
1: Well, for sure. I think that's a, a something they need to pay attention to. I would say that the the risk of them doing too much I think they're willing to take that risk in order to make sure that they've eliminated inflation as a primary concern for the economy because one of the other things that that the Fed is doing in the background that nobody really talks about, um, even us, we haven't talked about it very much lately, but it's also called the Fed balance sheet. Uh, In the background, the Federal Reserve has a balance sheet where they were using that to stimulate the economy they were increasing the money supply something yes. called m2 and if you know most people probably don't pay attention to this but we do cuz we're we're economy nerds yeah. <laughs> the m2 money supply has been dropping dramatically over the past year and a half because what the fed was doing for many years was something called quantitative easing they were utilizing their tools that they have their to balance sheet inject money into the yeah. financial system which is
0: one reason why uh, interest rates were so low for so long, and the way they do that is by buying these securities, right? right And that beefs up their balance sheet because now they have these bonds on their balance sheet, which are assets. And the result of them purchasing those is the outflow of that money when they purchase it goes into the into the economy through the banking system right, basically, right. right. So what they're doing right now is the exact opposite of that. They're doing something
1: called quantitative tightening. Which means that as these bonds come due on their balance sheet, they are effectively removing that money from the economy. And the economy um, operates on cash. And they're pulling that cash out of the economy at a rate of, I don't know, something like $90 billion a month. Yeah. A lot of freaking money. It's a lot of money. And that in and of itself is a form of tightening in the background. Yeah. Monetary. Um, Titan. Absolutely, absolutely, it is. So now, uh, is is that enough to stem the tide against inflation? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know, but it seems to be doing the trick. And and I think the Fed has that tool that they really don't talk about very much, but it's there. Um, and they also have the the usual tool, uh, their um, adjustment of the. Or, adjustment or manipulation, some people would say, <laughs> of uh, the, the Fed funds rate that they use to uh, 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 so you know is is one more important than the other? I don't know is is are they working together to reduce inflation? Yes, but the Fed also recognizes that, listen, we need to reduce the size of our balance sheet desperately and and which is why they're doing quantitative tightening.. Yeah. They need to reduce the size of their balance sheet. Um, And if if they ever had to or if they felt like they were going too far or they went too far or left rates high for too long, guess what? They can always lower interest rates. They do not want to increase the size of their balance sheet again if they don't have to.
0: Because it ballooned to something like $9.5 trillion. Humongous. And that was... Uh, you know, something like I don't know, like ten times larger than what they had to deal with in o eight because when when o eight happened and they stimulus, they put the, they pumped the stimulus into the economy, but try to do it through the banks, through tarp, it didn't even come close to eclipsing the same amount of of money that was needed um, for that stimulus program so, right right. So, so they I know that they they really have a need to produce that,
1: yeah. I think the the feds are are in a a pretty pretty interesting situation right now, but I, I'll say this too about interest rate cuts next year. I think there's only two reasons why the Fed would cut interest rates. Uh, and remember, this goes back to their mandates that they have. They have two mandates, minimize inflation. And and right now, if you listen to the Fed, their inflation target is 2%. Yeah. We're not there yet. Uh, we're we're still at 3.8, 3.7, I think it is, on inflation. Um, so we're not at 2 Uh, And and so if you look at just inflation, there's no reason for them to cut interest rates right now. Uh, And then number two objective for the Fed is full employment. And their number for full employment, in the Fed's eyes anyway, is 4%.
0: And we're still sub 4%.
1: And we're still sub 4%. So there's two reasons right there. There are two mandates that they haven't met yet. So there is no reason for them to cut interest rates today. Now. Will that change in the next three months, six months? Probably. Yeah. But is it going to change enough for them to warrant a rate cut? And, and in my idea, I would say no, not yet. Unless yeah. inflation goes below two and or unemployment goes above four and stays above four uh, to such an a, an extent that they think they need to do something right now. Um, I don't think there's any reason for them to cut interest rates anytime soon. So, really if you if if I believe that, then I'm also saying that the market is probably a little ahead of itself right now yeah. where we're at, and we might see a little bit of cooling off that first quarter just to get back into reality and say, "Okay, okay, we had this humongous Santa Claus rally. Um, now we need to go back and look at the fundamentals and say, "Okay, how is this really going to help us?" And maybe the market's got a little ahead of itself, maybe I don't know, yeah. Um, but we'll we'll see. Um, I I still think though that even if the feds don't cut interest rates until say late summer, that's still okay. That's still good. Yeah. That's that's probably what they need to do at the time. Uh, so we just manage what's going on, manage our everybody's expectations, uh, plan for the future, and think about you know what is going to happen to our portfolio over the next six to 12 months based on the economics that we see right now. Right.
0: Yeah. And barring any other kind of like black swan event or geopolitical, because we're also going into like, you know, an election year. Oh yeah. That, that I think think is
1: a, is a, something that will be more and more of an issue as we go on. Although, although if you look at history, when we have an election year, the markets usually do pretty well. Uh, it doesn't matter who's elected, whether it's a Democrat or a Republican, uh, in an election year, the markets usually do pretty well. Why that is, I don't know, but uh, it, it it's strange. I think I, I think people might put a little bit too much weight into who gets elected. I think it's more about the fact that we have an election; it's free, fair, and um, you know, m- as many people as possible participate as as possible because. Hey, listen, that's our chance to put our two cents worth, yeah, um, and so I, I
0: really wouldn't worry about who the exact person is. It's just participate, yeah, And I'm also in the camp that I think that the market might be a little ahead of itself. Markets have the first cut happening around May uh, next year, and I think that's three fed meetings into the into the year. Mm-hmm. But you know, I just I think that the economic data is going to be the story of the first six months and then the next six months of 2024 the back half is going to be all about the election but uh, really have a microscope over the economic data that comes out in the next six months and the first half of 2024 to say you know is what the market believed and kind of convinced itself over the last month two months to close out 2023 is it is this real like is it is it is inflation cooling at the pace that we think it's going to continue uh, and, and does the market have a reason to remain that optimistic? So we'll see. See how that turns out. Okay, guys, that'll do it for us today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget, interact with us, share our content. Helps other people find the show. We're on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube a few times a week. And I hope I hope that you guys had a great holiday season. Uh, we are back in the saddle officially, so we'll be keeping you up to date with financial markets uh, between now and the end of the year uh and into 2024 so thank you so thank you guys so much take care hope you have a great rest of your holiday season and a happy new year we will catch you next time securities and investment advisory services offered through next financial group member finra sipic Mm -hmm. texas hill country advisors is not an affiliate of next financial group this material is not intended as an offer or solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security or other financial instrument past performance does not guarantee future performance All the views expressed are those of Andrew Gay, Gilbert Pies, and Texas Hill Country Advisors, and not those of Next Financial Group. The S&P 500 is a market cap-weighted index composed of common stocks of 500 leading companies and leading industries of the U.S. economy. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is a price-weighted index of 30 actively traded blue-chip stocks.